Okay. Uh, how can you not? I, I, I wish that everybody got the same privilege that I do. You get to preach after you have a tremendous morning of prayer. It's amazing how hours go by like minutes when the Lord's at the center of it, isn't it? Yeah. I want you to turn to your Bibles to Jonah. So we're going to continue in the story of Jonah. And just glean from this and these passages the truths that God has for us this morning. How many of you are ready for God to speak to your hearts? I know what you're thinking. God already has spoken to your heart, so we're just going to add to what the Lord has done. I just trust that He's going to speak more to us this morning. Let's turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. Jonah chapter 1, verse 6. Uh, Isaac, you should be able to get that up on the screen. Perfect. I'm going to read this. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Father, today I'm so grateful that we have the eternal word of God. You somehow, in your infinite power and ability to be able to take men and put in this book what we need to hear, your very divine word without error. So God, I pray that as we read this today, Father, that the Holy Spirit would capture us, speak to us what we need to hear from you today. Lord, I pray that none of us would miss this moment. None of us would miss this moment. God, every heart in this place, and somehow wherever this message finds its place, is near and dear to your heart. God, you want to do something in our lives and you want us to have ears to hear. So right now I pray, open our hearts, help us to hear, receive from you today, and animate and bring to light the power of these very passages so that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're just picking up where we left off. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh and preach uh, God's message. God, so he decides he's going to flee and go to Tarshish. That's always a weird thing to say, Tarshish. He's going to go there and he's going to flee to go to Tarshish to, see, to get away from this thing that God's calling him to do. He has this hatred. We don't know where, we don't know the background behind it, but he has this thing about the people of Nineveh. Now, I was doing some research, and I wanted to get an idea, because in Jonah it says there's 120,000 children that could not discern between their right hand and their left hand. And interestingly, as you look into this, the history behind that is that it's believed that we're talking about literally children. So the number of population in Nineveh was estimated to be somewhere between 600,000 to possibly even a million people. It gives a, a more understanding of why this was so important to God. This wasn't just go to your neighbor and you didn't say something. This was so many souls that were missing the mark and God wanted to reach out to them. So Jonah really had an important message to give and he didn't want to give it. And So here we are. And now there's a storm over the sea. It's so bad that the men that were on this boat 
um, thought that they were going to die, they start throwing everything off the boat, hoping that somehow, that by lightening it up, that they're going to be able to make it out alive. And uh, so now Jonah, we found the last in verse five, he was sleeping. So while this is all happening, and all these men are praying to their own gods and they're throwing everything overboard, somehow Jonah, who's the reason why this is happening, is uh, in the boat asleep. I don't even know how that's possible, but he is. So then the captain comes down to him, and now we take up on verse 6. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we do not perish. So they were calling out on their gods, and he's like, you call out on your God. Somehow we hope that the Creator, or the God who is in charge of this, will stop the storm. Jonah was not being rebuked for spiritual blindness, but for spiritual coldness. It wasn't that he was blind to what was going on, it was that he was cold to what was going on. In his endeavor to separate himself from the presence of God, naturally he quit praying and caring for perishing souls. He quit caring about it. He's like, "Why? we're going to perish, we're going to die, and yet you're asleep. And this reminds me of a verse in Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. It says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now Jonah literally experienced what it was like to be vomited out. And I think that this is a, this is a revelation to us because God is always trying to get us back to spiritual light and heat and love for Himself the one who created us, there's nothing more important in our lives than to have an intense love for the God who created us. When we lose the heart for God, and we lose the intensity for love for the Lord, there's always a call back. And I love this. The more that I read Jonah, it wasn't that God stopped doing things for him. It wasn't that the hardships were literally just hardships alone. This was a mercy call of God to a man who was missing it big time. The mercy call of God. There is no way to pray and hold on to bitterness. When we look at this story, whatever's making him bitter, there's no way to pray and hold on to bitterness unless you're willing to pray as a hypocrite or pray to a God of your own making. Because this is the thing. There isn't anything in the heart of God that you can lift bitterness up and make it work. You can't say, I hate so-and-so. God, would you get in on this? Would you get in on my hatred for so-and-so or my bitterness towards somebody? I, I really, you know, that's not how this works. God doesn't do things like that. And so when you're trying to pray and you're holding on to bitterness, you broke the power of being able to pray. And how many of us have been there? You've been in that place, you're praying, and it feels like there's walls. There's this wall of, and you want the comfort of God, you want the peace of God, but there's a wall. So we got to realize our enemy, whoever they are, 
isn't worth losing what God has for us. Something's interesting because as you read, the captain comes to him. And what we read about these men is that they're no more saved or they're no more right with God than the people of Nineveh were. Not ultimately. They were what we would call the people of the world. And interestingly, this is what I caught in this. The world has a right to judge the church when our righteousness or the way we live sinks to below, below the threshold of their own. The world has a right to judge us when the way we live sinks below the threshold of their own. So when, when we have somebody say, I don't come to church because of the hypocrites. I'm grateful. I don't see that here. But at times we can do things hypocritical. But when we're living a hypocritical life, and somebody who doesn't come to church, somebody who doesn't have a connection to the Bible, somebody who can say, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in God, they have every right to call us out. We name the name of Christ, and yet the life we live so violates the purity that we know that was in Jesus. doesn't honor the glory of who He is. And so I think this is tremendous that God would send this into His life Remember the words that Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. Isaac, if you'll go to there, Matthew 12, 41. And he says this. Perfect. The men of Nineveh, this was Jesus years after this event that we're, we're reading about right now. Jesus bringing and highlighting the story of Jonah in his own sermon. He says, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was literally saying is that when you have more light, when you've had more opportunity, when you've had more reason to do what's right and you don't do it, then the, the, the world will rise up in judgment and even those that were condemned will still rise up in judgment to you because you've had greater life. So I think sometimes the, the rebuke goes to us. I'm like, well, I deserved it. If somebody says something and I had it, call me out on the carpet. There are a few things that can cut heart to the heart more than, the world, than when the world can call us out on the truths endorsed in our own conscience. And for that reason, God uses it as a mercy to turn our hearts back to Him. I want you to hear that. God uses it as a mercy to turn our hearts back to Him. I want to have a heart that's warm toward the rebukes of God. Because when God rebukes me, it is not Him thrusting me out and pushing me away. It is God saying, I want you back to where you're supposed to be. So the mercy call of God is in the rebuke of God. You know, today it's our world and our culture to keep pushing people away that are saying things that we need to hear. Sometimes we need that person who says, we call it tough love. I don't give a care what you call it. Sometimes we just need somebody to deliver us the raw message and the reality check in our life. And we need to say, Lord, I can be checked. I love the words 
of the psalmist who said, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Hear what he's saying. He's not saying I'm detecting and recognizing a wicked way. I'm all too afraid that in my finite human understanding that there's something in my life. There's something in me that perverts or dilutes even in the littlest way that takes the life of God. Search me. Keep me under the searchlight of God. And don't let there be anything, not even remotely, that tampers with the purity of living it out the way you wanted me to. When adversity from God doesn't awaken us, He uses the world's judgment against us. There was a storm, and now the world is standing against I could I could see how, you know, uh, situations in life, the circumstances that come, we could say, I don't know. I don't know if God's, you know, creating the storm that's going on. But it is another thing when somebody speaks to our conscience. To our conscience. And we know that they're speaking the truth. That's when it's that's when the kind of thing that you can't quite resist. And I think it's really important that we keep ourselves humble and say, God, please, I want to be the kind of person that you can speak through my brothers and my sisters. I want to be the person whom I don't give a care where the truth comes from. I don't care who ministers it, whoever gives it, I want to be the person who can receive it. I remember one day I was at work and we had we had a situation that arose and the guy that spoke to me he's, he 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 was so offensive in the way that he did it but what he said was true and I remember I went back to uh at the time we were out of town and I went back to my hotel room and I began to ask myself the question is what he said to me is it true or is he wrong? I wanted to, first of all, figure out if he was right or wrong. I was frustrated because I felt like it was offensive enough. I just didn't like it. But I couldn't dismiss myself from the truth of what he was saying. And I remember I went and found out that he was right. <laughs> to my demise, I found out that he was right. And so the next day I went to him and I, I thanked him. Thank you for pointing out something. I don't like the way you did it. I didn't say that because I didn't feel like that was... I don't need to add offense to the point of truth. All I need to do is take the truth for what it is. And I changed what I did, and I molded to what he said. I think that's the heart of somebody who's honestly sincere. All of us have situations in our relationships. Some of us in our marriages, we realize things happen or things are said. And I think all of us could be in check and say, Hey, can you, speak, you spoke something. I received it with offense emotionally, but I'm the kind of person who goes away and I take into consideration what was said and see if there was truth. If there was truth. But I didn't like the way they said it. I didn't like their tone. So, I'm yet to find where Jesus said, oh, if the tone isn't right, you don't have to listen to the truth. I just haven't found that passage yet. I'm like, Lord. (laughs) 
We used to have a guy that used to say all the time to me when we were, we were working on equipment and trying to bang on something to get it to fit or to work, and he would say, you just got to hold your face right. It's, that's the way we treat people oftentimes. You can't tell me. It doesn't matter if it's right or, or wrong. You can't tell me because uh, you didn't hold your face right when you told me that. It, I didn't like the look in your eyes in the moment. Let's look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. It says, And they said to one another, Isaac, if you'll get there, please. Jonah chapter 1, verse 7 through 8. Well, when you get there, and they said to one another, you'll take, he has to turn his Bible a little differently than you guys have to yours. They said to one another, come let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please tell us for whose cause or why is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Boy, did they they get after him. That's like today, if I had a quarter up here and we're going to flip this quarter and figure out which one of you is... Isn't that powerful that God even worked in the casting of the lots and, he, and they knew that somehow that lot, wherever it fell, that means that was the person whom... And, and that was carried all the way from Old Testament into New Testament traditions. Isn't that amazing? And, and we think, well, that just seems like that's happenstance. How do we know? And we have so much of that. But back then, that's how it was found out. God did things like that. But what we see here is this, that Jonah was so unbending in his pursuit to go to Tarshish that he subjected himself to the trial to be held by the crew members. He subjected himself to it. Let me tell you something. This is something that we have to keep in mind. When I choose to disobey God, Nobody else is in that circle at that moment. It's just me and God. When I choose to miss what God is calling me, and imagine this, in this context, it's Joseph's, it's not Jonah's hatred. Jonah's hatred for the people of Nineveh. Now it was said that maybe possibly, but we don't know for sure, that the reason he hated them is because the Assyrian people or the Nineveh, Ninevite people they were known to be the, the uh, enemies of Israel. There were atrocities committed to the people of God through the Assyrian people. Now this would be the context in which I, I would see it in. It would be like somebody coming into my home and harming my family. See, that changes the way we feel about things. And so Nineveh to him could have been, we don't know for sure, but could have been to him, you've harmed the people I love, the people I care about, and I hate you and I don't see any right of redemption in you. I don't want to see you being forgiven. I want to see full justice come your direction. But 600,000 people, 600,000. We don't know if that's the case. I'm not reading it in, but I'm, re- I'm telling you that oftentimes what we see is this. In the human element, we feel like we have a right to hold on to this one. 
because of these circumstances. So when you see Jonah backing away from God's plan and what God wants him to do, he's so unbending in his pursuit to Tarshish. It's his way of saying, I'm unbending about the justice I feel like they deserve. And I don't give a care what the context at this point is. And so what you have to realize is, sometimes it seems morally right to condemn people over what we view as an injustice done to people we care about, an injustice done to us. But what we have to do is bring back to the knowledge of the Gospel. Because Jesus, it tells us in Romans, that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. That God loved us as sinners and that He sacrificed Himself for us. That there's nothing that we can really put into the context that's a greater degree of offense than the enemies we were to Him. And yet God did that for me. You can never underestimate, and hear what we see, you can never underestimate the hardness of a man's heart when he is running from God. And you can never fully calculate the measures God will take to get him back. Let me say that one more time. You can never underestimate the hardness of a man's heart when he is running from God. And you can never fully calculate the measures God will take to get him back. See, we see all of this happening and it is because Jonah's heart is so hardened that even when he's putting other lives at risk, he still doesn't seem to care. He's still not awakening to what God is doing in the middle of this. So in Jonah chapter 1, verses 9-10, through 10, he says this, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now I couldn't help but capture that part right there in that verse where it says, Why have you done this? See, because I've heard for a long time people blaming God. Why did God? Notice they didn't say, why did God do this? The storm was from God. Their lives were almost. But this is what you have to think about. Jonah, and I was thinking about this myself while I was meditating on it. Jonah could have taken this conflict that he had between him and God anywhere. But he brought it to them. See, this conflict was going to exist between God and Jonah. God was going to do things to awaken Jonah's life, to keep him from making this big mess up. But Jonah decided that he was going to take that conflict to this crew of men. And I want people to realize this. When we think about the struggle, sometimes the storm you're in is because of what somebody else is doing. You are suffering. God's hand is in on it, but His merciful hand to bring them out of it. But if you'll notice this, not one of those men's lives, not one of them died in the storm. Yes, 
They felt like they were going to die, but not one of them died. The ship didn't go down. God knew how to control the storm, to quicken things, to bring to light things, to bring men into a position of beginning to consider that this God who's doing this is important enough that we should have, He should have our attention. But they blamed Jonah. And I think that that's properly placed. They were blaming Jonah for dragging them into his conflict with God. In essence, Jonah was provoking the same judgment against himself for which he had judged the people of Nineveh. Do you hear Jesus speaking in that? The same judgment that you judge others, you will be judged yourself. So Jonah was experiencing that. These men were just caught in that storm. But I'm going to bring you to something here because I love how God works in this. Jonah's hatred for the worst kind was the worst kind of hatred. It was a self-righteous hatred. There is no holiness or moral perfection greater than God's. And God was willing to forgive them if they would hear the message of repentance. Jonah chose to act in contempt to God's perfection. In other words, if God was willing to show mercy, what right did Jonah have to hold this grudge? God said, Jonah, go and preach to them. And the reason he didn't was because he knew there was mercy in the message. And, they, and he was afraid they would repent. He didn't want them to turn. And he didn't want God to be merciful to them. So he refused to do so. And when you do that, it's basically saying, God, I don't believe you have the right to make a judgment call here. I don't think your mercy is extended rightly. It's a self-righteous mindset in Jonah's life. Hear me on this. Every time we hold a grudge, you and me, we judge people harsher than God does. Every time you hold a grudge, you hold, you judge people harsher than God does. It's one thing to have this, you know, that was wrong. It's not like we can't make a right judgment call. It's another thing when you hold on to a grudge. Whenever we stay bitter, we are renouncing the power of the cross. Whenever we stay bitter, we are renouncing the power of the cross. The power of the cross is to forgive me. The power of the cross is to redeem me. When you choose unforgiveness, you resist your own you insist on your own condemnation because your own sins are no less condemnable. No less condemnable. Had Jonah just put himself in the light of, I am saying that these people deserve no mercy, then you don't deserve mercy. Unless there was no offense to begin with. If you had never sinned, then maybe you could make that call. But because he had sinned, he didn't deserve it any more than they did. Jonah chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. And they said to him, what shall we do that to you, what shall we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea is growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that this great tempest is because of me. Do you notice this is the first time that Jonah admits that it's his fault? Finally, he gets to that reality. Because of me. 
Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land. They were like, let's not do this. Why? Because you got to realize, this thing is a killer. We're afraid in the boat we're going to die, much less if we throw you out of the boat, you're going to die. They didn't want him to die. They were afraid that was what was going to happen. And there was no telling when the sea would become calm. He just said the sea was going to become calm. He didn't have the certainty that his life would be spared. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. I like this part. This is because of me. Oh, Lord, how many times in our lives that we could say, this is because of me. This is because of me. And before Jonah could go to Nineveh, before Jonah could follow that call, he had to get things right with those he had unintentionally harmed. He had to get it right with those he had unintentionally harmed. See, when we do things kind of our own way, we we harm other people while we're in the act of it. We just harm other people while we're in the act of it. So, But oftentimes it wasn't intentional. It was because of this hatred for somebody else. You got caught in the crossfire. How many of us have gone things in our life where we got caught in the crossfire of somebody else's problem with somebody else? Every time we gossip about somebody, every time we talk about so-and-so when they're not even in the room, that person we're talking to got caught in the crossfire. They got caught in the crossfire. I know, as hard as it is, I have times where somebody says something about somebody else, and then that's formed a judgment in my mind, and I thought, oh my gosh, I wish you hadn't said anything to me. I don't even know them, and I'm already feeling like there's something going on there, and I don't know how to get rid of that. Somebody got caught in the crossfire, and he had to be thrown into the sea for the sea to become calm. And this, I, I, I saw this. They had to throw him in. Why couldn't Jonah just throw himself into the sea? I want you to hear this. In other words, God was urging them to act in favor of his justice. To reconcile them to the injustice done to them. See, this is the thing. I, I want you to hear this. If you do not grow bitter to what somebody else has done to you, God is never the kind of God that doesn't act out in justice. That's what's really important to hear. When we're dealing with a world that's been struggling with abuse, abuse in our homes, do you think, for instance, God ever looks on the abused and says, I don't give a care? That didn't matter to me. The more stiffer, the more difficult that is, the more angered God is because of the abuse is done. So in this situation, and, and notice what Jesus says. He tells us to forgive those that have offended against you. Why does He tell us that? Because when justice needs to be done, you can't have bitterness affecting you, infecting you while it's happening. These men were going to throw Jonah overboard not because of their, their hating Jonah, 
but because they were reconciling that God is just. And I believe at times, there are, when God gets into our life, the forgiveness of God shows us that the love of God is not doing us an injustice in any way. And there's times when we begin to just surrender to the love of God, surrender to the mercy of Jesus, and say, Lord, I don't want to see my enemies destroyed like they didn't want to see Jonah destroyed. When God builds in you that softness and that tenderness of heart toward people, then God can act on them justly and it be a mercy to us. So when Jonah said, you're going to have to throw me overboard, what he's saying is, I did you an injustice. I did you an injustice. And I don't get away with just jumping overboard. You get to take me. You get to grab me physically. And you get to hurl me into the water. So that you know that God cared for you in the middle of this. You know that God loved you while you are struggling through the storm, that you don't have to live the legacy of so many other people that said, why did God? You know that God was doing this because of me, but not about you. And you need to know that. You need to know that what you've been through, you need to know that the injustice and the things that I did, that the trauma that I brought into your life was my fault, not yours. And God does things to turn that around. He does things to reconcile you to His love and His justice, that He's a holy God and that He's righteous. And oftentimes we preach the Gospel like this is about forgiveness and it doesn't matter how bad somebody's done something to you and they'll never face justice. But oftentimes they do. Oftentimes we'll look back through our lives and we're like, Lord, You gave me justly what I deserve but yet you gave me mercy in the middle of that. See, I think Jonah had the man, of, the man of God mentality to some degree. And he's like, you're not to suffer for what I did. What I did was my own remissness and carelessness, and I brought you into this. And I can't stand what I did to you. You deserve to throw me overboard, but not while holding bitterness in your hands. Not while hatred is in your hands. God's going to redeem you in heart and He's going to redeem you with His justice. Some people are so angry at what others have done to them that they can never let the justice of God be pure because they want vindication for themselves. Jonah had to reconcile with God over the means God used to bring him to repentance. Notice that sometimes there's things that happened in our life and we're having a hard time reconciling with this is what God was doing. He had to face the sobering fear of what it would feel like to perish in order to save others. See, this is what he wasn't willing to do for the people of Nineveh. He looked at them and said, I'm not willing to suffer to see you saved. I don't give a care about you. Well, now, these are people that didn't deserve it, and he's going to be faced. He's going to have to face the judgment of his own heart. God's mercy in it, but still, 
He had to save, face a sobering fear that what it would feel like to perish in order to save others. And at the same time, to hope for mercy from God to spare his life. A need for mercy like the people of Nineveh. Man, when I saw that in these verses, it really hit me. I was like, you are so cold that God, God was taking Jonah and He was giving him a living reality so that he would know these people are perishing like throwing him overboard into a sea and going to watch them die. Jonah, if you knew what it felt like, you wouldn't let them go on so carelessly. You wouldn't have so heartlessly wandered away into Tarshish. You would care for them. That's what I see there. So there's this sense of, you know, we can let other people die off because we don't care. But when we start feeling the same struggles and pressures on our own life, we start caring all of a sudden. And he needs this to go before he can go to Nineveh. You understand me? He can't just preach the message out of a cold heart. He has to have a loving, burning heart for the people he's sharing this with. For with what judgment, Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 2 through 3, with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? The powerful words of Jesus speak to us today. The powerful words of Jesus that speak to us. I want to finish here with Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Why am I preaching this? Because the one thing that I see in the book of Jonah is from the people of Nineveh, Jonah to the men that are on his that are on the ship, every one of them need mercy. Every single one of them need the mercy of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He went and perished within the sea was raised back up again. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. I think the truth is that none of us deserve mercy, but all of us need mercy. So I see in this, as I hear the words of Jesus, I see kind of like for the for the preacher up here, this is, this is me. I've had situations in my life where I've harbored things with other people. I've harbored things with other people. It got me to where I was angry with them. And you know what? I, I will admit, I'll admit that I was kind of happy that I didn't have to spend life around them. But when I read this, it strikes at me very much different. And I feel like, Lord, I don't want to ever, I don't want to ever get to the place where I don't see the redeemable of an, redeemableness of another person. You know, the beauty about Christianity and the beauty about ministry is Jesus wants to redeem every one of us. That's the beauty of it. God wants to redeem every one of us. But we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. 
but He wants to redeem us. I'm grateful that God wants to redeem everybody today and re-redeem us. Re-redeem me, Lord, today. Re-redeem me. I've messed up, but I want your redemption in my life. See the great love of Jesus that He's already done what Jonah wouldn't do. And here's the reason why Jonah didn't have any right to have this hatred for the people of Nineveh, not hold on to it, is because it's not Jonah's blood that's going to save them. It's not Jonah's forgiveness that's going to get them out of the hole. It's God's. Jonah, you don't get to determine what God does. You just got to buy into it is what it is. I want to just pray for a few minutes. I want to give you guys an opportunity to respond to what the Lord is ministering to your heart. Listen to me. I think that there's a lot of times as I think about this, is that, Lord, search me, try me. If there's anything God wants to do today, He wants to search us and try us. There's something powerful about being redeemed from this kind of... You know, the bigger one to me isn't uh, the people that Jonah's going to. It's not the men that's on the ship, it's Jonah. What's going to redeem Jonah from this struggle that he's going through? So this, I think it's amazing. I want to be more redeemed today. If the Lord has touched your heart in a special way, I want to give an invitation up to the altar to spend some time before the presence of God and ask Him either to help you through or, Lord, help those who are going through this. Some of us know some people who are. And, you know, this is bigger than cancer. Hatred is bigger than cancer. Hatred is bigger than cancer. Oh, dear Jesus. Oh, dear God. Let's pray together. We're going to have the worship team come up. We're going to worship. But as the Lord is ministering to your heart, feel free to lift your hands to Him. Feel free to come to the altar and just unburden your heart before Jesus or just bring somebody before Him. Father, thank You today. Thank You, Jesus, that the clarity of the message of the Gospel is that there is forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus is full of forgiveness today. The blood of Jesus is full of mercy today. The blood that was shed on Calvary was there so that I, no matter where I'm at in this moment, even at my best, I still have another moment of renewal and acceptance with God. Lord, I pray for that right now in Jesus' name. I pray that You would cure Lord, the ailment, Father, the greatest cancer that can get into our souls. And if that is hatred, bitterness, holding grudges, in the name of Jesus, Father, redeem us today so that we can be the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that not only did you redeem us by forgiving us, but you redeem us from the continuation of it in our hearts as we surrender to you today. We love you, Jesus, and we give you all the praise. Amen. Amen.